Section 8 of Radioisotopes in Medicine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Radioisotopes in Medicine by Earl W. Phelan. Therapy, Part 1. A Successful Case. A doctor recently told this story about a cancer patient who was cured by irradiation with cobalt-60. A 75-year-old white male patient who had been hoarse for one month was treated unsuccessfully with the usual medications given for a bad cold. Finally, examination of his larynx revealed an ulcerated swelling on the right vocal cord. A biopsy, microscopic examination of a tissue sample, was made, and it was found the swelling was a squamous cell cancer. Daily radiation treatment using a cobalt-60 device was started and continued for 31 days. This was in September 1959. The cobalt-60 unit is one that can be operated by remote control. It positions radioactive cobalt over a collimator, which determines the size of the radiation beam reaching the patient. The machine may be made to rotate around the patient or can be used at any desired angle or position. When the treatment series was in progress, the patient's voice was temporarily made worse, but it returned to normal within two months after the treatment ended. The radiation destroyed the cancerous growth, and frequent examinations over six years since have failed to reveal any regrowth. The treatment spared the patient's vocal cords, and his voice, airway, and food passage were preserved. This dramatic tale with a happy ending is a good one with which to start a discussion of how doctors use radioisotopes for treatment of disease. General Principles Radioisotopes have an important role in the treatment of disease, particularly cancer. It is still believed that cancer is not one but several diseases with possible multiple causes. Great progress is being made in development of chemicals for relief of cancer. Nevertheless, radiation and surgery are still the main methods for treating cancer, and there are many conditions in which relief can be obtained through use of radiation. Moreover, the imaginative use of radioisotopes gives much greater flexibility in radiation therapy. This is expected to be true for some years to come, even as progress continues. Radioisotopes serve as concentrated sources of radiation and frequently are localized within the diseased cells or organs. The dose can be computed to yield the maximum therapeutic effect without harming adjacent healthy tissues. Let us see some of the ways in which this is done. Iodine-131 and Iodine-132 Iodine, as was mentioned earlier, concentrates in the thyroid gland and is converted there to protein-bound iodine that is slowly released to the bloodstream. Iodine-131, in concentrations much higher than those used in diagnostic tests, will irradiate thyroid cells, thereby damage them, and reduce the activity of an overactive thyroid, hyperthyroidism. The energy is released within the affected gland, and much of it is absorbed there. Iodine-131 has a half-life of 8.1 days. In contrast, iodine-132 has a half-life of only 2.33 hours. What this means is that the same weight of radioactive iodine will give a greater radiation dose than iodine would, and lose its activity rapidly enough to present much less hazard by the time the iodine is released to the bloodstream. Iodine-132 is therefore often preferred for treatment of this sort, Boron-10. 
Boron tan has been used experimentally in the treatment of inoperable brain tumors. Glioblastoma multiform, a particularly malignant form of cancer, is an invariably fatal disease in which the patient has a probable life expectancy of only one year. The tumor extends roots into normal tissues to such an extent that it is virtually impossible for the surgeon to remove all malignant tissue, even if he removes enough normal brain to affect the functioning of the patient seriously. With or without operation, the patient dies within months. This is, therefore, a case in which any improvement at all is significantly helpful. The blood-brain barrier that was mentioned earlier minimizes the passage of many materials into normal brain tissues. But when some organic or inorganic compounds, such as the boron compounds, are injected into the bloodstream, they will pass readily into brain tumors and not move into normal brain cells. Boron-10 absorbs slow neutrons readily and becomes boron-11, which disintegrates almost immediately into alpha particles and a lithium isotope. Alpha particles, remember, have very little penetrating power, so all the energy of the alpha radioactivity is expended within the individual tumor cells. This is an ideal situation, for it makes possible destruction of tumor cells with virtually no harm to normal cells, even when the two kind are closely intermingled. Slow neutrons pass through the human body with very little damage, so a fairly strong dose of them can be safely applied to the head many of them will be absorbed by the boron-10, and maximum destruction of the cancer will occur, along with minimum hazard to the patient. This treatment is accomplished by placing the head of the patient in a beam of slow neutrons emerging from a nuclear reactor a few minutes after the boron-10 compound has been injected into a vein. Sequence of events in neutron capture therapy using boron-10 Neutron capture treatment of a brain tumor using the Brookhaven National Laboratory Research Reactor, Center. 1. A lead shutter shields the patient from reactor neutrons. 2. A compound containing the stable element boron is injected into the bloodstream. The tumor absorbs most of the boron. 3. After 8 minutes, when the tumor is saturated, the shutter is removed and neutrons bombard the brain, splitting boron atoms so that fragments destroy tumor tissue. 4. 20 minutes later, the shutter is closed and the treatment ends. The difficulty is that most boron compounds themselves are poisonous to human tissues, and only small concentrations can be tolerated in the blood. Efforts have been made, with some success, to synthesize new boron compounds that have the greatest possible degree of selective absorption by the tumors. Both organic and inorganic compounds have been tried, and the degree of selectivity has been shown to be much greater for some than for others. So far, it is too early to say that any cures have been brought about, but results have been very encouraging. The ideal drug, one which will make possible complete destruction of the cancer without harming the patient, is probably still to be devised. End of section 8